So uh, what have you learned through your relational and geographic proximity to those in the entertainment industry? Yeah. Um, relational, I'm assuming you're referring to my brother. <laughs> um, and yeah, definitely we uh, pastor a church in downtown Los Angeles. So obviously um, a lot of creatives, artists um, coming through our services. Um, I'd say one, the biggest thing is that um, they're increasingly suspicious of the church and um, don't always feel that the church is a safe space for them. Um, and I guess to answer the question of how can we better serve this community, um, I'd say one is to have them in the room for especially for important conversations that actually shape the church, um, to give them a voice. Because I think artists and creatives are like everyone else. They just, they want to be valued for who they are, not what they bring to the table or what they can do. Um, but this is challenging for churches because artists create a problem, right? Uh, they, by very nature, they um, push up against the status quo. Uh, they push boundaries, they think outside the box, they ask a lot of questions, and especially if you're a church that has done this, done one thing one way for however long you've existed, um, having an artist in the room, like doing what an artist does, can be really inefficient. Um, but, you know, every church is asking, how do we attract more creatives, and yet there are always what they mean is how can we get creatives to execute the things we come up with to do what they do um, but the way we want them to do it you know and that's not really valuing their voice that's basically exploitation you know um, what does it look like for us to have creatives at the forefront of planning conversations you know what does it look like to have creatives actually shape the ministry and speak into the ministry even maybe shape the way we communicate the gospel to our congregation. You know, I can't, I can think of so many stories of like, you'll have someone who Monday through Friday is like in digital media, right? And then they'll come to your church and rather than asking them, hey, like we would love to learn from you about, you know, what are some of the things we're doing right now that isn't really connecting with this with this generation, instead we'll have them design like the children's ministry flyers for, for the following week, right? And it's just like, th these are people who make a living doing this stuff. And so you can almost understand why I think for a lot of creatives and artists, like the church just doesn't, ha doesn't feel safe for them. And so. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Oh, yeah. um, I think sometimes pastors, especially those who aren't creative, mm -hmm. can be intimidated mm. by those who are creative. So what would you say to somebody who wants to go to that place to create a safe space for creatives, mm -hmm. but then just really feels intimidated and isn't sure, like, I want to be cooler, right? I want to be hipper, and I just don't know how to do that well, because I don't know, I'm not so into those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, what would you say to get someone started down that path? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the answers you gave were really good in terms of learning how to slow down maybe some of the processes to allow for artists to speak into that. Mm -hmm. I don't know, was there some more practical things maybe? Yeah, I mean, I think there's like a huge 
kind of misnomer that like in order to reach creatives, you have to be hip and cool. Um, and I think like it, that could not be further from the truth. In fact, if there's anyone who hates pretense and like, you know, performative love, it's artists, you know, because so much of what they do is to try to portray the authentic self, you know, and to come from a place of authenticity. So even just a conversation like um, that is like, hey, I would love to learn more about what you do. And, you know, I would love to learn more about kind of um, why you got into the field you're in, how you got into the industry. I would love to learn more about your story. It's insane how um, like quickly those relationships can be forged because, you know, for so many artists and creatives, they just they feel like cogs in a machine, too, you know, where they're just working for the man and, you know, doing like what people want them to do. So for someone to even ask them what their story is, I think they would love to share it. So I think just starting there, you know, just a simple what you would do to any for any person in your congregation, I think is good. Yeah. Um, so obviously you're at a church that has a lot of creatives mm -hmm. and you've been able to foster an environment where creatives feels feel safe. For you as a pastor who has to also teach and preach mm -hmm. to creatives, do you feel the pressure to be creative? And yeah. Um, this is going to sound like super, like one of those like meta philosophical things, but I like to think of like all of us as artists and creatives in our own right. And I actually think, especially at the beginning, um, stepping into this role and being a week to week preacher, I did feel that pressure, you know, um, not necessarily to like impress the creatives at our church, but more so just a pressure to like, you know, you're in LA. It is, it is a town where like everyone is a storyteller. There are like multi-million dollar films being made and you have to get up for 30, 40 minutes every day and tell this story. Um, how do you do it in a compelling way? And so I think I definitely felt that pressure, but actually over time, I think I realized that the best gift that I can give to my congregation is myself and um, like a voice that um, is uniquely mine and sometimes you know I have imposter syndrome I feel insecure about that voice but the more and more I feel like that is what really connects with people um, you know like what is the God when people see like oh what does the gospel mean to me and how does it manifest in my life and how do I communicate what is actually good news to me um, to our congregation and almost everything else flows out of that and it's pretty it's it's easier than I think to contextualize because you're speaking from like your authentic experience and using your voice and I feel like creatives really um, appreciate that you know like for a lot of creatives and artists especially in Hollywood their whole lives they have to play a role you know and then you talk about you think about Gen Z like in general, whose lives are on social media, they're basically, their entire lives are a performance. Sometimes it's like they are playing a construct of who they feel like they need to be. So then it would be almost like, um, it would be such a shame for them to come to worship on Sunday and hear a pastor get up there and again, try to perform and morph into something that that pastor felt like 
he or she needed to be, you know, for these people, what they want actually and what is so refreshing is someone who's able to be authentic and, and to, to share who they are from the pulpit. And I think that helps a lot. switch gears just a little bit Mm -hmm. and uh, you talked about Gen Z and just sort of the ways in which we need to present ourselves to them and be authentic because those are the things that they value. Um, There is definitely now that you have uh, Gen Z and younger millennials influencing more of culture there's generally speaking a change that's happening Mm -hmm. um, and it's impacting our culture in various ways. Mm -hmm. So as a pastor uh, how valuable is it, or what's valuable about being aware of these these trends and these these changes that are taking place? Mm-hmm. And sort of how do you take into consideration uh, that as a as a pastor and leading your church? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's like of like, I, you know, Tim Keller used to say like the way he preps his sermons is he has the Bible in one hand, New York Times in the other, and I I do feel the same way about you know the importance as pastors to understand the cultural water that their congregation is swimming in. And obviously in LA, we're in the thick of it. You know, we are the hub for a lot of the culture that's being, you know, put out there and the culture that gets adopted. Um, And, you know, like I, in some sense, I I would say our culture is doing a much better job discipling our people than we are you know, um, and our culture is super creative at decide, like we, there's so much we can learn from the way our culture tells its story, you know, and I think um, even sometimes the way we frame these questions, like, you know, I hear a lot like, oh man, Jason, aren't you scared because the culture seems to be getting more and more secular and godless and, you know, what is the church to do? And I think right there, there's an assumption that culture and the church are diametrically opposed to one another. Um, And I think when you when you carry that paradigm, then the way you view how you minister to the culture is how are we going to get into the culture and like bring Jesus into the culture? Like, how are we going to like save them, you know, from their sins? Right. Um, When in reality, that that isn't that that isn't the job of the church. Um, Actually, God is already there. God is already active and working in the world, in our culture. Um, And it's our job to discern what are we seeing in culture that is true, good, and beautiful? You know, how do we separate truth from lie? How do we see that culture isn't always something that's bad, like inherently, but how do we see culture actually being a mirror back to us, showing us these are the things that people are actually longing for? And these are actually the things that Jesus satisfies, you know, and you're not even going to get like underneath those core longings unless you're regularly kind of like, you know what your people are watching. What are they reading? What are they consuming? You know, what's, you know, what does their like intake look like? You know, because you now need to take the gospel and contextualize it to say like, hey, that thing that this show is telling you about, that longing in your heart, that's actually a good longing, you know? But culture is telling you the way to satisfy that longing is X, Y, Z. This is what the gospel says, you know? 
um, that you don't need to do anything to satisfy that longing. You don't need to be anyone. There's no image you have to preserve or protect. This is the gospel. Jesus loves you, accepts you, you know. But I think so much, so many of the times we're so afraid of culture that we're like, oh man, we need like more Christians in the like music industry to sing songs about God, to combat all the songs that are like not about God, you know. And I just think that's such a, you know, that's just going to lead to something really like colonial and weird. Um, and I, you know, I just don't think that'll work, especially in the post-Christian, you know, world we live in. And, you know, I was, <laughs> it, it's funny, like, um, like, don't ask me why. Recently, I was watching like Beyonce's performance at Coachella a few years ago. And when you watch that performance from beginning to end, you're like, that is a masterful worship service, you know, that is speaking to everyone's longing to worship something. It's just that, you know, it's now a secular salvation schema. So, you know, the thing that is the, the good news in that worship service is, you know, find your true voice, you know, sin in that salvation schema is anything that oppresses your authentic self. Um, you know, sin is all the authority, laws, rules that keep you from becoming who you really are, right? And so, Basically, they organize an entire worship service, that performance, around communicating that message, and they do it masterfully, you know? Just the way they use their bodies, um, the way they engage the mind, the way they connect them to tradition. I mean, these are things churches should be doing. You know, we don't, we don't really often see, like, the confessions and, like, these things as, like, what is the purpose of these things that we're doing? Oh, they're connecting us to a rich tradition, of believers throughout the century doing these like we don't I, don't I don't think we are as thoughtful about how we are communicating the good news as our quote-unquote secular counterparts are about communicating their message to their respective congregations so wow great wow okay <clears throat> Say so much. <laughs> oh my gosh, I wonder from all this. Um, okay, you talk about the Beyonce <laughs> concert, mm -hmm. and what I'm what I'm what I'm seeing you doing is seeing our culture's liturgy for what it is. Yes, an actual liturgy. And so you talk yes. a little bit about how churches need to think through deeper their liturgies mm -hmm. and how we're we're facing a particular cultural liturgy too. So I'm trying to frame a question around this idea of. How do we do that in a way that doesn't also make us feel... Because I think some pastors are nervous about that because yeah. we feel like that's going to drain us of the, our, our, our gospel principles. Like, mm. So like the idea is like you're seeing this Beyonce concert through the lens of your faith. Mm -hmm. So what are some ways practically that pastors can learn to do what you're doing better? Which is essentially what Tim Keller's talking about when he's talking about newspaper and Bible. Right? Yeah. So he's saying like those are the things you can learn how to... You have to exegete both culture and scripture. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to exegeting TikTok versus exegeting the like, those are this is a different skill set. Yeah. You know I mean? So yeah. Like, what would you say to pastors who are like, I would love to do more of what you're talking about because yeah. I can connect with my, my people who are in those spaces. But, you know, it's not like you learn that in a seminary class. Right. 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 Yeah. I and mean, that's so hard. And again, I think it, it's like when you have one paradigm, which is culture, the world equals bad, and let's become like a fortress. It's so hard to even think about culture in that way. 
So I think the first thing is for sure like a paradigm shift, you know, that needs to happen um, in order for you to actually start like engaging the content, not from like a critical lens, but saying, huh, what are the good things here that, you know, um, and what are the things that like, oh, like this is actually um, hitting something that our congregation members really need and long for. Um, one passage that really comes to mind that like jacked me up was um, there's a passage in Isaiah 10 and um, it talks about how God has chosen an emissary, um, Assyria, to and sends Assyria to a godless nation. And I was and I remember reading that being really confused by that because I was like, wait, Assyria is the godless nation. But then when you actually read the passage, you realize that the godless nation is Israel. It's the people of God. And so you, you, your mind gets rewired to realize, oh, like God has chosen the Assyrians to be a prophetic critique of the church, not vice versa. You know, granted, like God will deal with the Assyrians too. You know, he will deal with and he will judge everyone. But that was a, such a huge paradigm shift to say, huh, could it be that maybe like the problem isn't out there, which we always think it is, that's infiltrating the church? Could it be that, the, that we have a problem in here? And could it be that we need the culture to show us what the problem is? Because right now, as you know, like especially with Gen Z, the church does not start off with an A. The church starts off with an F. You know, there is already like a, a deep cynicism, suspicion, you know, you know, when, when a person, especially a young person, enters the church about what the church is about. So even to come into a place where, you know, like the pastor or the leaders are freely using like these cultural elements that are very familiar to them, to actually not criticize the culture, but to criticize the, themselves and to use them as a means to self-examine, I think right there you build, you start to build bridges of trust where people say, okay, they're not approaching this from um, a position of superiority to the culture. They're, they're, they're seeing this as we're all broken and God is doing something in the world that is obviously not a Christian world anymore. You know, what are the things, how do we as a church join God in the work that he's doing? So how do we bring that into the church? Rather, take what's in the church and bring it out, take it out there, if that makes sense. moved to like uh, think more deeply about how as a church we can be more open to the post-Christian culture that we see mm. as opposed to just simply thinking about everything that's happening outside as an attack, mm -hmm. as a spiritual attack, but really that this is could potentially be or is actually a prophetic moment that's mm -hmm. coming toward them. Mm. Oh, there he is. Mm. Just commenting on that <laughs> question. <laughs> some fun ways that you've been implementing those tools like in your church like TikTok, Discord, Twitch, like all these new tools that are being like created. Oh, oh man, I know it's overwhelming, you know, like um we've actually been right now we're in we're at the stage that we're at as a church is 
like we're starting from the very ground up. So we have like creatives at the highest seat of leadership in our church, like making decisions. Um, but I think like that's actually a big question right now that we're wrestling with how like and we talked about this in our group as well, like. We're, what we're wrestling with is, okay, what parts of like how people communicate do we feel like is necessary for the church to adopt? And what parts does the church offer like a counter cultural solution? Like, so, you know, um, it, it's funny, like when we polled our church and we asked like, oh, you know, would you want like TikTok content? And like, would you want like this kind? It was always the older people who felt like we should do more of that. And it was the Gen Z's being like, why are you doing that? You know, like, don't do it. Cause it's always going to be like a poor man's version and it's going to be, we're not going to do it well, you know? So it's like, that's like, it, that's like the, like the dad trying to do like, you know, funny, like, like trying to dance with like the youngins, you know? And so it's like, what parts of it do we say, okay, this is how our culture is communicating and we should like, you know, we should kind of like meet them where they're at. What aspects do we say, man, there's this thing about embodied presence, you know, with the body of Christ that offers an alternative to maybe like their connection, which is all digital, maybe less, you know, less personal where the idea of friendship is super diluted. How does the church offer something different? So we're actually in the pro we're actually wrestling through those questions right now. So, yeah. So I think a big part of the tools we use does shape our people. Yes. And I would say to some degree. Well, okay. So it's kind of a chicken and egg question. So in your church, you have a lot of creatives, and you have them at the highest levels of leadership. So <coughs> definitely going to drive the way that you do things. Yeah. Um, and so therefore, that also makes the church as a whole a little bit more open to creativity and sort of what God's doing in, yes. in, in, in and through those spaces. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely going to be forward momentum when it comes to those kinds of things. Um, and I wonder, I, I think the question for me is, a, is a, as a lead pastor in terms of building trust with uh, your congregation to, to do things that maybe in some other places would feel like a finger moving too fast. Yeah. I wonder if that's something you guys have wrestled with. And so how do you lead through change when it's not coming through like structural systemic change, but yeah. it's really more driven by creativity? And what does that look like? And how do you navigate through some of that stuff? That's change in a, any leadership position is scary, but cre creative change is a different kind of beast, I feel like. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's such a good question. And um, like we all, like I, I think as leaders, <clears throat> we always want change much faster than the rest of our community. And so... Definitely, I, I'm a firm believer that change happens, um, changing culture happens one conversation at a time. So I think definitely in terms of um, just having those conversations, I think is really important. The second is, I think, uh, changing slowly and, and, and through constraints. So I think there's also another kind of like misconception about artists is that, oh, like, which I think scares a lot of pastors and leaders is that artists just want to be like free with no limitations, no constraints. That's actually probably one of the most stressful things for a creative or an artist to be like, Hey, what do you guys think? Can you just like create? They're just like, what? You know, 
But let's say you say, hey, we have this one section in our worship service, the confession of sin. And we're not trying to change the whole worship service because we know that's going to like, the congregation is not going to be prepared for that. But is there something we can do in this one small section of the service that you think real, that you think can really communicate what we're trying to create, you know? So like, I'll give you a perfect example in our own community. Um, we have like a time of confession and, um, you know, it's like praise. And then we go into this time of confession and like all of a sudden it's like the music is loud and then it's like, it drops and it was like super awkward. Right. And then, so what we started doing was like, we would kind of put some like background music during that time while whoever's presiding would lead us in a time of confession of sin. Well, it was actually one of the creatives on our staff who was like, hey, not a huge change. I'm cool with the background music, but how about just for that, the time that we're actually confessing, can we just have it like complete silence, like utter silence? And it's like, and everyone else was like, wow, man, don't you think that's awkward? They're like, no, but like, that's what confession sometimes should feel like, awkward you know, you should kind of like, you should almost be able to hear the gulps, you know, in your throat, kind of hear the, you know, and, and the beauty of confession is like, hey, you're naked and God sees you for who you really are. There's no mask. There's no music in the back. It's just you and God and you're still loved. And if that's what you want to communicate with that time, I really feel like we should just go dead silent in that time. And that's what we do. And that's like an example of a really small change, but you're now inviting creatives into the conversation and allowing them to like shape kind of. And then I think over time, get, get them into different parts of the service. Um, maybe even start getting them in to give feedback on sermons, you know, but I think steps, you know, so that people can process that change slowly.